Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is really for me today with so many of the people I know who now have Parkinson's. Today's conversation with Dr. Robert Hockey is one that far reaches anything I could have imagined. You know, we are going to be talking about a scientific advancement, but more than that, as the Director of Parkinson's and Movement Disorder Center, Professor of Neurology, Molecular Pharmacology, College of Medicine Neurology at the University of South Florida, Dr. Hauser is somebody that we want to hear from. So get ready to get updated, get informed, and get inspired because you're about to hear breakthroughs in the care, the treatment, and what you probably don't know about Parkinson's disease. Welcome, Dr. Hauser. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Well, I think we have to start out from the beginning where I started out with uh, my friends and people that I know. Uh, Here's what I know. I don't know what I don't know. So let's start out what Parkinson's disease is. Sure. Well, Parkinson's disease is a progressive neurologic disorder that's associated with a loss of dopamine neurons. And the neurochemical messenger dopamine in the brain allows us to move normally. When dopamine goes too low, patients get the signs and symptoms of Parkinson's disease which generally include slow and small movement, stiffness, tremor, and difficulty walking. And we typically treat Parkinson's disease with levodopa, which is the precursor to dopamine. We give levodopa, it makes its way up to remaining dopamine neurons, it's converted to dopamine, and that works pretty well initially, but over time, many patients develop episodes or time during the day when they don't have a good response to dopamine or to levodopa, and we call those off episodes. So one of the things that I'm here to talk about today is uh, Norian's as a new medication to uh, treat patients who are experiencing these off episodes. Now, I I know this is a a question about off off episodes, but I, I wonder if there is science or information that talks about how often they happen. Yeah, well, about a million people in uh, North America are thought to have Parkinson's disease. Off episodes are more common the further out from diagnosis you look at a population. And uh, by about five years after diagnosis, about 50% of individuals are experiencing off episodes. So it's quite common. Wow, wow, it is. So one of the things I said at the top is that, you know, we're going to be talking about innovations here, what I like to call breakthroughs, and, you know, clearly, 
staying on top of what is happening for an individual that has Parkinson's disease in America is really important. You know, what have you come to know about these off episodes and what actually catapulted you all to really come out in the forefront with this? Yeah, so, you know, off episodes really are basically two types. One is patients notice that the benefit from levodopa wears off and they experience a return of Parkinson's symptoms, the slowness, stiffness, tremor comes back. The other is that the levodopa takes a longer time to kick in and provide benefit. And it's kind of interesting that levodopa only lasts in the blood about two and a half hours. But initially, we can give it three times a day, uh, five hours apart or so, and patients get good benefit lasting from dose to dose. And the reason is because the levodopa makes its way up to remaining dopamine neurons, it's converted to dopamine, and most importantly, stored and slowly released over time to provide that benefit of five hours or more. But as more and more dopamine neurons are lost, patients begin to notice that the benefit wears off after four and a half hours, four hours, three and a half hours, three hours, et cetera, and then the Parkinson's symptoms come back. The other thing is, and many patients don't realize this, is that Parkinson's disease is not just in the brain. It also affects many nerves in the body, especially those ner nerves that go to the autonomic or automatic nervous system, including those to the gut. And so what happens is that the stomach is not working very well. It's slowed down. Levodopa has to get past the stomach to get absorbed. So when you take your levodopa, if the stomach's not working very well, it begins to take longer to get absorbed, and it's more variable. So these two things contribute to these episodes between levodopa doses where it's just not providing good benefit. These are the so-called uh, off episodes of Parkinson's disease. Yeah, and I want to ask you a question because I've done a couple of shows now on self-care. Let me just call it self-care, although it may not be applicable here. What are you finding is the, the rate by which people either remember or don't remember uh, uh, as to how often to manage uh, their care around these episodes? Well, it depends. Some people recognize uh, pretty easily that their levodopa is wearing off and can sort of mm -hmm. pinpoint that it's a medication-related issue. Other people aren't sure what to make of it, and mm -hmm. some people just ascribe it to the disease, and they may say, oh, I guess this is just disease progression, and they don't bring it up to their physician and don't realize that their treatment's available to make it better. So it varies mm -hmm. from patient to patient, and we counsel physicians that they really need to ask the right questions. I typically ask, is your medication lasting from dose to dose? Does it wear off before the next dose kicks in? And especially, what do you like in the morning? Does it take a while for your levodopa to kick in? All of those things are looking for times during the day when the patient is saying, my medication's worn off or hasn't kicked in yet, um, and that might be an opportunity to improve how they're doing through the day. Is there, I mean, you know, I hear this so often, Doctor, I hear this so often. Um, what can we do to help with better management? Or at least what can we do to to be better at reminding folks, especially if we're family members? Yeah, well, one thing I always like to do is to make sure that both the patient and the caregiver for the family are there together. And yeah. one thing is you get different information. 
from the two of them. And as an expert yeah. or someone who sees patients, you need to understand how to integrate that. Um, but yeah. it's also very helpful to, to provide that information and then to provide both the caregiver and the patient your thoughts on what's going on and what needs to be done. Uh, so especially once they leave your office, they can get together to talk about what needs to, needs to be done. Now, specifically with, with these off episodes, we now have this uh, novel medication, Nurians, and it's the first um, FDA-approved adenosine A2A antagonist to become available. It's approved as an adjunct to carbidopa levodopa, which as you know means as an add-on medication to carbidopa levodopa in Parkinson's disease patients who are experiencing off episodes. In clinical trials, what we saw was that the addition of neurons significantly reduced off time. And what that means is that patients who are experiencing these off episodes would spend less time in those off episodes. Potential side effects include dyskinesia, which are involuntary twisting turning moments, uh, impulse control disorders, hallucinations, constipation, insomnia, and dizziness. So patients should, when they see their Parkinson's disease doctor, whichever doctor is taking care of their Parkinson's disease, they should ask about, um, might I be experiencing off episodes? And if so, is Norian's a good choice for them? Mm, wow. You know, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot, really, to talk about. But I want to make sure folks, before this, uh, this segment's over, I want to make sure they have a website so they can do some homework themselves. What's the best place for people to go? Well, they can find out more about Nurians at Nurians.com, and they can find out more about Parkinson's disease at the websites of Michael J. Fox and the Parkinson Foundation. I have one last question. Can you give us your, let's just say, sneak peek vision on the future here? What excites you most? Yeah, well, I'm very excited about the future, and that's because in the past when we talked about how are we going to slow the progression or have stopped the progression, which is just so important, we were kind of shooting in the dark, but I think we've uncovered what the basis of Parkinson's disease is. And very briefly, it looks like there's a protein called alpha-synuclein that's clumping up. There is some interest in maybe it starts in the gut and works its way up the nerves to the brain, starts at the bottom of the brain, and then works up uh, toward the top of the brain. And so there are many, many laboratories and universities across the world that are working on new therapies that inhibit this clumping up of synuclein. There might be ways to reduce the production of synuclein or to, or to prevent the clumping or to prevent the damage that the clumping does. But I think we now have this very important target that looks to be at the heart of Parkinson's disease. And I'm very hopeful that one of these therapies or maybe multiple of these therapies will one day lead to us being able to slow or stop the progression of Parkinson's disease. Mm. Wow, that really would be an end game, wouldn't it? That'd be fantastic. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. Last question. What's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? My personal message is uh, take charge of your care, see the best, uh, most experienced physician you can, and talk to the physician about the problems you're experiencing. Stay healthy, exercise, eat well, try to maintain a good weight, um, and uh, you know, make sure you have that good interactive relationship with the uh, physician or other care provider that you're using. Well, I'll tell you, that is great advice across the board. Thank you so much, Dr. Hauser, for everything. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Let's take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. 
TransformationTalkRadio.com. Wow. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm telling you, I got to pinch myself some days because when each of us gets called to do something that we so not thought was in our real house to do for a purpose that's so much greater than us, we get to show up and shine. If you would like to show up and shine on the Dr. Pat Show as a co-host or sponsor, send us an email to inspire at thedrpatshow.com. If you've ever had a broken heart, you know how painful that can be and how long it can sometimes take to heal it. I'm Megan Edge, author of The Heart's Journey, Healing Hearts, Oracle Cards, and Guidebook, published with Balboa Press and Hay House. In The Heart's Journey, I share with you my own heartbreak and how I healed it through the beautiful hearts that found me in nature. From taking photographs of these hearts for myself, I've created this beautiful toolkit, which includes the guidebook, which has my story, how to work with oracle cards as a healing tool, and the story of each of these hearts as they cross my path. I've also created a beautiful journal. There's a pen, a bookmark, and of course, the 42 Healing Hearts Oracle Cards. You can order the Hearts Journey, Healing Hearts Oracle Cards, and Guidebook through my website, meganedge.ca, through Balboa Press, Amazon, and many other places online or your local shops. I look forward to hearing about your heart's healing. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. You know, I'm joined here by Dr. Chris Malasery. And why do I say that right now? Because it is a good news segment. You know, when I think about the advances we have made uh, in anything to do with the heart, I'm really struck by the loss in my own family. My favorite uncle at a very young age, my dad, my stepmom. And I think of where we are today, and I just think, wow, what advances we have made. You know, today, Dr. Malasery is joining me as a cardiac surgeon. He's going to reveal what to expect before, during, and after cardiac surgery. Doctor, it's great to have you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on your show, Dr. Pat. Well, you know, this is one of these conversations where I think when you've been touched personally or in your family, um, it really becomes a, a conversation that is beyond intrigue, but it's a life-saving conversation, isn't it? It is. And I'm certainly sorry to hear about your family members, but mm. uh, we have advanced so much now yeah. in terms of prevention of heart disease as well as treatment. And I have, to early, I have to stress early treatment of uh, heart disease before there's a major problem. And, and I think really that's so exciting, uh, first of all, about what we're, we're talking about. Um, but for you, you know, you are on the forefront of this. You're seeing what has happened, where we are today. Um, and let's talk about then and now. And I like to say then and now as opposed to old and new. Um, but let's talk about then and now about what we think we know about traditional open heart surgery or any heart surgery and what you are now literally practicing because those are like old and new when we see the advances you all have made. Heart surgery has advanced so quickly yeah. and then wasn't that far uh, that long ago. Uh, just 50 years ago, we didn't have open heart surgery. We just no. couldn't operate on the heart. Mm. Uh, now, now with the advent of a heart-lung machine, 
patients can have surgery on their hearts. But nowadays, what we can do is heart surgery that is minimally invasive, and that's associated with smaller incisions and quicker recovery. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the people, because I didn't see it coming for my stepmom at all. Uh, nobody saw it coming for my uncle at all. And some of the things that we think we know about who the people are that may suffer from heart attacks or heart failure, that absolutely is not necessarily the truth. My uncle was in the best shape. Are you kidding? So let's talk about who are the people that can suffer or really are maybe let's just say uh, more vulnerable uh, to suffering and what are the risk factors? We uh, think of heart disease as still the number one health risk for Americans. We've done a great job in reducing that risk in our population, and that's mostly through prevention. So that's good. So modifying um, uh, risk factors such as high cholesterol, high blood pressure, managing diabetes, these are very well controlled now with medications. And also, to address the modifiable risk factors that all of us can do. So we can lead a uh, more active lifestyle, eat better and control our weight. And these go a long way in preventing heart disease, specifically coronary artery disease, which is blockages of the arteries that supply blood to the heart muscle. Yeah, I, I mean, the, we are now learning a lot about what we actually put in our body, but we're also learning a lot about what we do with our bodies, how to keep ourselves fit. Um, you know, what do you say to that? What is it, an uh, age-old adage about, well, the heart is a muscle? How true is that in today's world? <laughs> it is true, and with patients who have heart attack, uh, with, with heart attacks, time is heart muscle. So some patients... Uh, ignore life-threatening symptoms and come mm -hmm. in very to the hospital. It's important to come to the hospital as soon as possible because we can treat those blocked arteries with something as easy as a coronary stent. So these are very fine, uh, small metal stents that go mm -hmm. inside the arteries to reopen them up. Reopen them up. So time is um, time is heart muscle. Yeah, I want to talk to you about the progression of strategies you have. Take us through how the, 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 the strategy for surgery has changed. You know, there used to be a very large conversation about before, during, and after. What has changed with that process? All right, we are, uh, we are undertaking a program that maximizes recovery after surgery. So we call it enhanced recovery after surgery. And that starts in the preoperative area. And I think um, for you in particular, Dr. Pat, I think minimizing the anxiety and stress that mm. patients face when they're told they need heart surgery can go a long way. And as you know, um, information is power. So we uh, give just the right amount of information so the patient feel comfortable about their diagnosis, that their treatment plan is correct, and that they're doing everything that's possible to maximize outcomes after heart surgery. And that starts even before the heart surgery itself. Through the heart operation, we minimize the use of narcotics. Um, that's sort of the order of the day now is to use analgesics and blood kill, uh, painkillers mm -hmm. that 
not narcotics. And uh, we have so many of those now that we don't feel that we need to use narcotics for pain control anymore. And we can do special techniques with our pain specialists who are anesthesiologists with regional blocks. In particular, for our patients with minimally invasive cardiac surgery, keyhole incisions between the ribs, that we can effectively numb that incision area. And a lot of our patients say they have a very little pain um, after their heart surgery. And postoperatively, uh, some of our working patients get back to work in just two, three weeks after heart surgery if they're, uh, if they're appropriately motivated. Yeah, I mean, you are um, somebody that is up close and personal with this. Um, and, you know, what you're seeing at Northwestern Medicine and, you know, what you're learning in, in this field, it is groundbreaking. I mean, most of us see this from afar or we see it in our favorite doctor television program, right? Um, and I must say, some of those programs are really bringing to light some of the innovations. Uh, but for people that don't do all of that, I think it's important to give them a way to find out more. What is the best way for people to find out more? Well, we're happy to share our website, which mm -hmm. lists uh, options that are available today and also offer a glimpse into investigational trials. Some of these things seem very sensationalistic, but they will become reality in the future. Uh, we, we sometimes can offer procedures on the heart that don't involve open heart surgery. And I think mm -hmm. these are great things for older patients who face the most risk from open heart surgery. So our website is heart.nm.org. So that's heart spelled H-E-A-R-T dot N-M, which is northwesternmedicine.org. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that these interviews are short. I, I, I want to uh, just ask you this uh, question here. Let's take a glimpse ahead. What are you most excited about as you stand where you are today and you look ahead a year, two years, or three even? Yeah, two to three years down the road, I'm excited about the innovations for valve surgery, mm. which and replacement that can be done without open heart surgery. So that's very exciting. I think decades down the road, I'm really excited about our ability to prevent heart disease through medications and risk factor modification because uh, I hopefully in the future, my job doesn't exist anymore. We don't need <laughs> to do surgery on anybody. Yeah, boy, thank you. And look, one more time with the website, and I'd also like to know what your personal message is. What would you like to leave us with today? Well, certainly seek out a second opinion if available. Um, a lot of these cases are elective cases, so they don't need to be done right away. They're not yep. emergencies. And there's so many ways to find out your treatment options um, that can be either um, offered now by anybody or through an investigational trial, which uh, may be appropriate depending on the case. Yeah, you said it. I got to tell you, the whole idea of getting a second opinion in general, I think it's so pivotal in today's world of medicine. I really do. Thank you for all that you do. Please give your website again. It's heart.nm.org. Thank you very much, Dr. Pat. Thank you so much. Keep doing the good work.
Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Inspire. Create. Empower. Only on TransformationTalkRadio.com. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Conscious Confidence Radio, a timeless wisdom with Sarah Main. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio and join Sarah on an adventurous journey to the deeper level of meaning to move beyond today's world of constant change, confusion, and uncertainty beyond the shadow of fear. This hit show explores key concepts such as confidence, values, and attitude in a dynamic way. To learn more about Sarah and her work, visit sarahmain.com. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. How would you like increased health and vitality? How would you like to avoid the onset of disease as well as slow the aging process? This is all possible through a simple, safe, and natural process. Every day we are either moving toward wellness or away from wellness. Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. I'd like to be your partner in achieving optimal health. Contact me now at MaryJaneMack.com or call 425-392-0659. Visit MaryJaneMack.com. Do you know how to achieve wellness in all areas of your life? Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. Signs of wellness are a capacity to love and ability to nurture, a sense of purpose, a good sense of humor and plenty of fun in your life, a concern for others and a respect for the environment, a conscious commitment to personal excellence, a sense of balance and integrated lifestyle, and capacity to cope with whatever life presents. Well, people enjoy their lives and want them to last as long as possible. That's why the wellness mindset usually accompanies other constructive, healthy lifestyle habits. By adopting a wellness mindset, and behaviors like eating well, taking the right nutrition for the body, exercising, and saying affirmations are just a few things to structure a healthy system of values and beliefs. I will be your wellness coach to help you achieve a wellness lifestyle. Call us at 888-777-4232. That's 888-777-4232. And visit us at maryjanemack.com. Tune in to Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff. This hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet. Welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. Your inspiration all day on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. Well, April Schneider is joining me here today, financial expert, head of consumer and small business products, Bank of America. Um, you know, April, today what we're talking about is we're talking about a healthy financial future in general. But we're also talking about savings tips. 
And, you know, I meet with my Bank of America team on a regular basis for a lot of reasons. But the one thing that I've walked away from uh, those meetings with is looking at a strategy that works for everyday people. And I think that's what we're about to talk about today. You're absolutely right, is having a savings plan and tips to help someone when they're just starting to save and and generally just um, how are Americans doing when it comes to savings? Okay, so here's a scary story I want to just tell you for a minute. Back in the day uh, when, you know, I was young, $61 a week job, right? Uh, I used to have a jar and I used to put my change in it. Now, back then, we didn't know what we know today. But the point that I'm trying to make is at the end of a month, two months, six months, a year, I could basically pay for a vacation if I wanted to or do something else. This is almost the same concept, except if you put money in a jar, it doesn't accumulate interest. I was going to say, I don't think that's a scary story. I think it's a great story okay. because you were establishing your, no, I think it was great when you were talking. I was like, why does she think that's scary? I think it's great. You okay. were establishing your own ways to save. And I, I don't know if you, you and your household were taught, you know, financial discipline, how to save, but a lot of people weren't. Right. So the way that you were doing it is what you knew at the time. And, you know, we have different, you know, we have financial tools, we have spending and budgeting, we have a bunch of different things today, yeah. but I, I think it's whatever works for the individual to start to save. Yeah. Well, let's get down for a little bit of data. I love data. H- how are we doing here? Give us a state of the union on savings. How are we doing here as Americans when it comes to saving? Yeah, at the core, Americans really want to save, and they're trying, but they're, they they want to do better. So they recognize the importance, we recognize the importance of saving money, and over half just think they're not saving enough to achieve their financial goals, according to a study that we recently did at Bank of America. And about 80% say they are saving, but are just struggling to save successfully. And and here's the thing. You're here to give us some tips because I think the thing that I've learned about money uh, in a very long career and a lot of ups and downs is when it comes to the tips and how to do things differently in the world, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. So what are you doing to help people get some insider tips, more or less, on what people can do to make forward movement is what I call it. So there's a couple things, and I'm, I'm going to go deep on, you know, budgeting for one, but there's also we want to plan and not accidentally save and then have goals. Those are the three things that if your listeners could take those away, take away having goals, having a plan, and having a budget. And I want to dig a little deeper on who, when you start to save is number one, start by reviewing your expenses and don't make that feel like a chore because you want to have the mindset of I want to save and I want to succeed. And to figure out how much you could save, you have to know how much you're spending. And then number two, divide all of your expenses into categories, whatever works for you, like groceries, utilities, entertainment, whatever your categories might be, and then calculate how much am I spending on all those. Then that's how you're able to create a budget. And then take all those and figure out what do I have to spend money on? So all the necessities, I have to pay my rent, have to pay my mortgage, I have to heat the home. And then what do you want to spend money on, which quite honestly, are tend to be the fun things. I want to go out, I want to buy clothes, but how much do I want to go out and how how many clothes I want to buy? That's kind of like your non-essentials. And then measure all of that against your income. And that's going to help you figure out how much is left over and what, what changes might you be willing to make 
to save or to save a little more. And by the way, I wouldn't recommend crazy big lifestyle changes. To save small ones are okay because the realist in me says in order to save for a lifetime, you want to make it so that you could win at savings, meaning make it so that you don't feel like you're giving up too much in your life to save. You want to make it so that it works for your personal situation, for your family, and for all of your goals. You have to make it fit in in order to start and to succeed. Um, I love this. You know, the other thing, too, is I love it when we come up with themes and ideas, because what we're talking about is America Saves Week. Um, And let's talk about that, because, you know, we're talking about a new level of awareness. And I, I am a firm believer that, you know, sometimes awareness is enough to trigger action. Um, Tell me about the goal for America Saves Week. I love how you just said that awareness triggers action. And that's exactly what America Saves Week is about. And people may say, why are you only talking about it for a week? That's exactly it, is we're putting a lot of energy into savings for a week so that you take it away for the year. So it's really an annual celebration for the week that reinforces the importance of saving. It promotes healthy savings behavior, encourages a commitment to savings, which is and setting goals, savings with a plan, and retirement. So Bank of America really supports savings in general, America Save Week, and we encourage individuals to commit to save, which is critical, to take the pledge uh, to work to save money, to reduce debt, and build your wealth over time. And when you kind of think through all that, it's really important to promise to yourself to do that. Well, I mean, part of this, too, is, you know, looking at the number of tools that people have and what it means. But let's talk about some of the automatic savings tools because, you know, really the difference between when I used to put money in a jar and where we are today is we did not have the tools in the digital world. Um, Even reminders, you know, I can't tell you how many alerts I have that tell me about my payments and so forth on my business, but savings tools can be equally effective. Well, you're right. And about half of Americans are using automatic savings tools because they're a great way and they're, they're easy to make to help you save money consistently and with little effort. So you have your approach to help you save. Yeah. And this is making it easier for others. It just It's an evolution, really. So you can set up automatic savings through online banking. And there's there's two two quick ways to talk about this. So you could do automatic transfers from your checking to your savings account, and you could do one based on a recurring time and dollar amount. So I'll give you an easy example. I could transfer $20 a week from my checking to my savings account automatically. And if I did that, $20 a week, it's about $1,000 a year. Really good foundational emergency savings amount. And if you can't afford 20 Drop that in half, you kind of get the math. It'd be 10 and be 500. So whatever you can afford, that's one example. The second is what I would call split your paycheck. And it, I certainly don't mean, you know, 50-50 unless someone can afford it, but some portion of your paycheck could be uh, moved directly into your savings account when your paycheck hits. So it's say $25. And then the rest moves into checking. So it just creates that instant discipline that you've pre-thought that said, I'm going to move a portion into savings. And then that's going to just going to grow and keep growing from there um, when you have that ability to do that. So just, those are just two um, quick ways to think about automatic savings tools. Well, you know, part of this too is to inspire interest as well as action. And I think this is part of this. Um, Let's talk about, you know, saving and spending in the relationship. Once upon a time, there was no relationship between saving and spending. And now there is. I mean, 
I, I have a friend that does nothing but use <clears throat> that credit card to pay for groceries and everything. And then at the end of the month pays it off. But, you know, you don't get penalized in terms of rewards if you spend and then pay a credit card off every month. But what is the relationship and how does this help for savings? What can be done here? That's a great question. So there's two ways we have a approach on a credit card and then we have a debit card. So yeah. if you're, if you're using a credit card and it has uh, rewards attached to it, you could definitely use this as a savings tool. So for example, if your credit card gives you cash back, um, you may be able to set up auto transfers so that whenever you reach a certain rewards balance, let's say $25 or 50, whatever threshold you set it at, you could have that deposited directly in your savings account and watch your, your savings account grow. And on the debit card side, we have an automatic savings program there called Keep the Change. It's a great program that rounds spending up to the nearest dollar for every purchase you make. So again, you're going to spend, but save at the same time. So let me give you um, an example here. If your purchase was $3.50, it would get rounded up to $4 and 50 cents would get moved into savings. So every time there, you're going to swipe your debit card, you're going to make that purchase anyway, or you had like a recurring debit card payment that you were making to to Netflix or whatever, it rounds it up and the, the difference is, is moved into your savings account. So another way to, to pay yourself or save while you were spending. So you could do that with a credit card, you could do that with a debit card, and just these savings from these programs could add up pretty quickly. Wow. Um, I know that you're going to be taken off here. Uh, I want to uh, make sure that we give folks information on how they can find out more. And then I want to ask you your personal message, what you'd like to leave us with today. Sure. So bankofamerica.com, you could get information on our savings tools. You could get information on our savings accounts and also where all our financial centers are located if you'd like to go in and talk to a banker. And then we also have a really great um, free online financial education platform called Better Money Habits that I encourage anyone to go look into. There's a lot of uh, savings and budgeting tips and even information on credit if um, anyone's interested in digging in there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Personal message. What do you want to leave us with today? My personal message here is that, you know, starting out early in savings and, and building on that is, is critical, but it's never too late to begin saving. And I would say starting small is, is perfectly fine and getting advice is great. So if you want any help, feel free to speak to a banker, whether it's at the bank you're at or you want to set up time to speak to someone at Bank of America. I, I really encourage that. Having a plan is important. Setting goals are important and having a budget is important. And I would say, don't ever feel discouraged. Starting out small is perfectly fine and don't rearrange your life. Make it have savings fit into your life. And really savings is a lifetime. So I, I highly encourage everyone to stick with it and never feel discouraged. Hey, thank you, April. Thank you for getting out there with the message because I'll tell you what, a little bit goes a long way. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, short break. We'll be right back. Preceding audio was via a Skype call. Have you ever wondered what your pets think about? Do you know what your pets are saying to you? Dr. Monica will be your pet's translator to help you understand what your pets are trying to communicate to you. Enhance the bond with your furry friends on Pets Talk with Pet Communicator, Dr. Monica, each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Dr. Monica, visit Pet Communicator. Com. Is traditional medicine not working for you? Do you still feel as if your health isn't 
Here at the Holistic Medical Center, Dr. Nushin Darvish and the qualified staff look through the dimensions of wellness and start a healing plan prioritized to your needs. Our physicians assess the whole you until complete health is achieved. Get the help you need by visiting drdarvish.com or call 425-451-0404. Break your snooze button habits for good with the Soul Stretching Sisters on the I Am Power Hour with me, Terry J. Walker. And me, Dr. Pat, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Pump up your spiritual muscle as we share stories. Aspire higher. And live a whole lot larger. To help you unleash your powered up. Pumped up. I am soul stretching success. Anything can happen when we take to the airways. And all things become possible during the I Am Power Hour. Transformation Talk Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is a good news segment, but it's an important news segment. Dan Matthews joining me here today, Senior Vice President, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA. Um, Many of you have heard me do any number of shows. You know, remember when they were trying to shoot the uh, wild Mustangs out in the middle of the country? But more importantly, the question mark really becomes... How do we step this up so that people are motivated, super motivated to think twice about what they do, what they wear, and what they put in their bodies? But today for for this show, we're going to be talking about PETA and how it evolves from a fashion week disruptor to an industry insider. And what that means is that they are doing some really cool things. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, when you, uh, I was reading that that uh, headline earlier today, and I thought, yeah, there are some things that you all had to sit down, talk about, and then make some very conscious decisions to change for yourselves. What was that like? Well, you know, we started the whole Rather Go Naked Than Wear Fur campaign exactly 30 years ago uh, with the Go-Go's who did it as a benefit poster for PETA on their tour as a way of raising people's awareness about the needless cruelty involved in the fur trade. And as a kind of a sexy, upbeat way to get the message across. A lot of cause ads are very, very downbeat. And this was a very exuberant way to to, uh, draw attention to the campaign. It became such a hit that uh, everybody from Jillian Anderson to Tyra Banks to Pink to uh, Taraji P. Henson uh, has done this campaign for us for the past three decades. But in the past few years, we've seen such success with the anti-fur campaign. Most designers have agreed to drop it. California banned fur sales. Macy's and Bloomingdale's closed their hundreds of fur salons across the country. And we just thought, you know what? I think this campaign has done the trick. Let's reassess and expand our efforts in other campaigns that are, are more deserving of the attention. Fur is about as popular as a cold sore now. So um, we decided to celebrate the end of the campaign, the success it's had, and refocus more efforts on uh, leather and wool. Most people don't realize uh, don't realize what happens to animals in, in the leather trade, for instance. Right, they don't. Uh, they, think, they think, well, we eat the insides. Why not wear the outsides? Right. Uh, but when you hear about, about what happens uh, inside, it's a little bit um, jarring. One of the cases we had that I worked on personally involved a slaughterhouse floor worker calling us from a huge slaughterhouse outside of uh, Philadelphia uh, to report that his job was to chop the hoofs and lips off cows so that their skin could be peeled back for leather. 
The problem was the cows were supposed to be unconscious when they reached him on the conveyor belt, but they weren't because the stun guns often didn't work. Personnel was often poorly trained. So he would be trying to chop off one hoof and another hoof would come around and kick him in the head. He complained to the USDA inspectors on site and they told him to get back to work because there was a quota to fill. That's why this guy called PETA, not because he was a vegetarian concerned uh, uh, for the animals, but because he was concerned for his own safety as well as for the, uh, the cruelty involving uh, that, that, the cows. So we went in with undercover footage. We showed what was going on, how routine it happened. Uh, and we filed uh, state charges uh, at the state ag in, in Harrisburg. And they fined, they gave a small fine to this place, but it didn't really change the way things operate. What happened, uh, what changed really was that state after state tried to make it illegal to film inside slaughterhouses to try to thwart our investigations. So that's why we decided to focus more attention on why it's so, so cruel and uh, unnecessary to kill cows for their leather and to focus attention on some of the incredible alternatives now in use in the fashion world. People are making leather shoes out of cork. They're making leather out of, Tommy Hilfiger has a collection of, of shoes that look like leather, but they're made from pineapple leaves, which are very, very sturdy and can be fabricated into uh, top-notch uh, material. Uh, the wool trade is another area that people have not known much about with what happens to animals inside. And they just think, it's like a haircut. Sheep need to be shorn. But again, we've got a quota system where we've got these violent shearers who prod the sheep along. The sheep are often panic-stricken, so they get punched in the eyeball. They get slammed by their heads against the wall. They have their legs broken, uh, pinned down, and shorn in such violent ways that they have bloody gashes left untreated by veterinarians. That uh, it, it's a it's it's really like a horror show. And so. When people see that, uh, they, they get disgusted. And there have been cruelty cases lodged by authorities in Australia, in Scotland, in, in England, because this has been so commonplace. So what PETA has done, in addition to exposing this cruelty, we have identified companies that are coming up with wool-like fabrics that have nothing to do with animals, that are much more environmentally friendly. One of these fabrics is called Wonderfelt, and they make material that looks and feels like wool, except that it's made from plastic bottles pulled from the ocean. So we sponsored a, a men's fashion show last fashion week to show how usable these materials are. We had a, a top designer who was used to using wool in his fashions, and it got rave reviews. And now there's more companies interested in using this kind of material as opposed to the animal-derived fabrics. So uh, we've, we've come around in a full circle in our work. It used to be that we were outside agitators in the fashion world, but now since we've gotten so many designers' attention uh, through the fur campaign, they are now looking into all these other fabrics that go way beyond fur. Uh, and so it's been kind of an exciting evolution in the whole war against fashion using animals. Yeah, and you know what I love about this? It really reminds me of two things. Um, and I know these are short interviews, so I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Um, when I was a kid, I come from a, a union family. You know, my dad, part of the Teamsters, really encouraged us girls, go get a union job. And the only union job that I was interested in, I wasn't going to drive like an 18-wheeler or something like that. But if you worked at your local grocery store in the meat department, that is a union job. So off I went to the Amalgamated Meat Cutters Union. And boy, I'll tell you, I lasted on that job barely through training. 
because what I learned in part of the training was enough at age 17 to point me in another direction. Fast forward to where we are now, I don't know Good that we've gotten any kinder about this, though. And this is why, you know, for us, when we move forward this year and launching an entire channel that's dedicated to the kinds of things you're talking about, we've got to do something more robust like you're doing. We've got to make it kind of sexy to say to people, yeah, rather go naked than wear fur. Um, and right. educate people because people don't know what you just said, Dan. They, they think, oh, let's look at the sheep on TV. Oh, they just get a haircut. And by the way, the, the propaganda around it is, and they all will feel better, right? Have you heard that commercial? Right. Yes. <laughs> people aren't even told that these sheep have been genetically uh, bred for over a century now, especially in Australia, to have more wrinkles in their skin and therefore more wool to be shorn off. What that has done, though, is it's made it that they can't even defecate. The skin folds have closed in around their backside. So now it's common industry practice in Australia is to take gardening shears and chop off without anesthesia a whole dinner plate sized chunk of skin around these lambs backside. Uh, there are so many cruelties that have become so commonplace just because we want to maximize profits by genetically altering these animals. And people don't know about that. And I think now that they're learning about it, that this is why you're seeing such a rise in demand for vegan fashion. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I know this is not this show today, but I will tell you, we are uh, planning an entire series that comes out right before the summertime to really talk about the landscape, especially around food. Because, you know, to hear a fast food chain announce something that's not meat, that tastes like meat, and, you know, this is in the chicken wing area. I think you've got to admit, maybe, maybe you guys are making an impact. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's been incredible to see. Yeah. Uh, it's been just wonderful. I want to ask you about the designers because this, if anybody can make this cool, we have some of the top designers in our country and around the world. If anyone can make this cool and appealing, it's got to be those. How are they responding? How are the designers They're responding? It depends on the, 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 the designers. Uh, there are some. I mean, the most, the most engaged has been Armani. We convinced yeah. them to stop using fur. We talked about all the other issues. I go to meet with them in Milan every year. And every time I go back, they've hired more and more people to work on just this. They actually just sent me a, a questionnaire asking how they can do better. There are some companies that have been really, really responsive. Others have been a little slower on the uptake. Uh, Michael Kors, uh, uh, it took him a little while, uh, longer than the others, to drop fur. But now that he's done that, he's certainly curious about these new fabrics. Tom Ford went vegan, and he used to be the main target over fur. And he's interested in incorporating more vegan fabrics into his collections as well. So I think, interestingly enough, it used to be that we couldn't get any of them to drop fur. It was one by one, and they didn't want anything to do with us. Then there was this uh, tipping point, I would say, about three years ago, where they all started dropping it, and nobody wanted to be the last one out. Now we've, we have the, um, an opposite situation developing, whereas they realize how trendy vegan fashion is, especially because of sustainability being such a big concern, especially to young people that they're all fighting over themselves to see what vegan fabrics they can try out next. Uh, and so 
some of these companies are, are able to meet the demand. Others are too new and they're, they're too young to, to meet the demand. And so Pete is now working with the H&M Foundation to get some of these green startups in better shape to be able to become more mainstream and, and meet the demand. Um, and so we find ourselves uh, almost like a, being a trade association for these vegan fashion startups as opposed to the group that's agitating inside the fashion world like we did before. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we're thinking about these things, we're certainly thinking about, you know, the multi-generational country that we are here in the United States. But globally, what we're thinking about is this energetic, I'd say, energetic rise in a new level of awareness. And, you know, if you've ever sat across the table around a holiday, especially a Christmas holiday, where you have your 20-year-old and your 30-year-old and the conversation is all about this, that's how, for me, I look at a baseline that, yeah, it may take us a while to filter this up uh, generationally, but I really think that we're getting all people of all ages from various walks of life that are now aware, but not aware enough. And I think that what you're doing helps us with this. I want to ask you one last question. How do people find out more about this? And how do people get involved? Because information is great. Involvement is better. <laughs> well, we'd always, we always love to have our newest member. If you go to PETA.org, that's P-E-T-A.org, you can get both uh, information on any issue you want, and you can sign up to, uh, to get email alerts about things. And of course, we'd love to have you as our newest member. Uh, which will also keep you aware of all the different things going on. I like it. I have one last question. What's your personal mm -hmm. message? What would you like to leave us with, Dan? I think the big thing is that, you know, we, we love dogs. We love cats. We just don't seem to know enough about other animals to treat them with equal respect. And I think the general message is animals are just our, our neighbors in this world, and we just got to all learn to be better neighbors. I agree. I agree. And, you know, we all breathe the same air, Dan. All breathe That's the right. same air. Thank you so much for all that you do. I know you've got a massive job, and I know you've got to run off. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. All right, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.